This is Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. Fiction and nonfiction, graphic novels, and more. We're here to help you find something great to read. Joss Whedon. His name stirs excitement in fanboys and girls of many genres. He's a virtual cult figure with devoted fans of his Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV show, the short-lived Firefly series, or the online project Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. He also happens to be the writer and director of 2012's Avenger film, the third highest grossing film of all time, bringing mainstream success to the Comic-Con superstar. But before Avengers, Whedon was attached to several Marvel movie properties, most notably, after Brian Singer decided not to return for a third X-Men film, Whedon was briefly attached to write and direct X-Men, before he backed out, opting instead to work on a doomed Wonder Woman movie. While Whedon wouldn't direct an X-Men feature, he did write the X-Men in comic form from 2004 to 2008 in a series called Astonishing X-Men. Bearing Whedon's unmistakable mix of humorous dialogue, kick-ass women, and character-driven drama, his run was a comic award darling and a bestseller. And the first six-issue arc of that series, subtitled Gifted, was the basis for 2012's second Marvel prose novel. Hello, Books and Nachos listeners. I'm Arnie, and I'm back today to continue looking at the Marvel Comics series of long-form novels. In 2012, Marvel Comics launched a new Marvel prose initiative. In the past, Marvel prose works had been original stories featuring the Marvel Comics heroes, but published by Marvel partners such as Delray Books. But in 2012, Marvel changed course, publishing prose novels themselves for the first time, and rather than tell original stories, these new Marvel books would be novelized retellings of best-selling fan-loved comic stories. A couple weeks ago, here on Books and Nachos, I reviewed the first book in the series, a retelling of the Civil War story arc, and you can hear that review in the Books and Nachos archives at booksandnachos.com. Today I'm back looking at the second Marvel prose novel, Astonishing X-Men Gifted, by Peter David, released in September 2012. When I first read that the Gifted X-Men arc would be the second prose novel and adapted by Peter David, my excitement for this new Marvel book series went through the roof. First, longtime listeners to Books and Nachos know that Peter David is one of my favorite authors. I first read David's work in the 80s when I was deep into the Star Trek original novels, and Peter David's were always my favorites. They were often laugh-out-loud funny, action-filled, and character-driven and I had no clue at that time that David also wrote for Marvel Comics. I found his Marvel Comics work just by accident in the early 90s, when in my late teens, I first started reading comic books, and David's Incredible Hulk stories were always among my favorites. In the years since, I've read more of David's work. I've read some of his original books, like his vampire novel Pulling Up Stakes, but honestly, I've read mostly his Marvel Comics-related stuff. I read and reviewed several Marvel movie novelizations written by David, and you can hear those at MarveliciousToys.com, the Venganza media podcast devoted to Marvel collecting. I also read some of David's original Marvel prose novels that he wrote in the 90s. But aside from just my enjoyment of David's work, hearing he was going to adapt Whedon's comics seemed perfect. I'll admit, when I think of David, I don't immediately think of X-Men. The Marvel character I will always associate with David is the Hulk, but he's also done good stories for Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2099, and yeah, he does write the mutant book X-Factor, but when I think of the X-Men team, Cyclops, Wolverine, and the like, 
David isn't even one of the first top 10 names that come to mind. But then I looked at pure writing style. David's an author whose ability to deftly mix the humor, action, and drama matches Whedon's own sensibilities. Analyzing it, I really wonder if my early experiences reading Peter David's works is what made me appreciate Whedon's style when I first encountered Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Alien Resurrection. And Whedon's voice is very strong in the Astonishing X-Men comic run. If you've seen Firefly or Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know Whedon's strength is rapid-fire repartee between groups of characters. Be it the Scoobies and Buffy, the crew of Serenity, or the Avengers, Whedon's voice is consistent and always comes through. It's fast-paced, it's funny, but it is also deeply character-motivated and real-feeling. It's something he probably honed during his writing stint for the Roseanne TV series, which, while very funny, also had some very poignant moments. That voice he brings is loud and clear in his Astonishing X-Men comics, likely one of the reasons for that series' success. And I know this about Whedon's comic writing because, unlike Civil War, I was familiar with Astonishing X-Men Gifted before David's book. I didn't initially read the comics, but a few years ago, Astonishing X-Men Gifted was adapted into a motion comic. If you don't know what a motion comic is, it's like a really low-rent animated feature where they use the term motion comic to lower expectations for visual pizzazz, but they have voice actors reading the dialogue and are very true adaptations of the comic. So I first saw Gifted as this motion comic, and then later went back and read the actual comic books, and I will say in both cases, I was left wanting. Don't get me wrong, Whedon's dialogue is top-notch. I love the characterizations of the main characters, I love their struggle but I never felt like I had a good experience. And as I came to Peter David's novel, I was hoping the problems with Whedon's original story had been fixed. To explain my problems further without giving a full review of the comics, Astonishing X-Men Gifted is a multi-layered story about the Marvel mutant hero team, the X-Men. As mutants, the X-Men have been hunted by some humans feared and reviled and seen as dangerous misfits. Team leader Cyclops has decided the X-Men need to rebrand themselves so they can once again be seen as the superhero team they are. Old team members come back, new costumes are donned, and the core team of Cyclops, Emma Frost, Wolverine, Beast, and Kitty Pride work together as teachers at the Charles Xavier School for Mutants, as well as superheroes protecting normal humans from evildoers. Their hope is that by acting like superheroes and dressing like superheroes, the X-Men will come to be regarded by the public as heroic, like the high-profile super teams of the Avengers and the Fantastic Four. But turmoil soon engulfs the X-Men when Dr. Kavita Rao, a research scientist for the Benetech Corporation, reveals to the public that she is a, quote, mutant cure, unquote, a serum that will reverse the genetic mutation that makes homo superior, different, and sometimes dangerous. Rao declares her find a triumph, holding up as proof a little girl, a mutant whose inability to control her powers ended in the brutal death of her parents. With the cure, she and other children like her can live without fear. Each X-Man has a different reaction to this news, from the blue-furred beast who sees a cure as a way to finally lead a normal life without flea baths, to Wolverine who believes that this cure will be weaponized as a way to exterminate mutant kind. But Rao is hiding a secret. This mutant cure isn't the result of her own scientific prowess, but with a Faustian deal with the extraterrestrial warrior Ord from the planet Breakworld. Ord's people saw a future in which mutants from Earth would destroy the Breakworld, so Ord travels to Earth and gives Rao the technology she needs to build her cure, hoping to exterminate mutants. More 
It turns out government agency S.H.I.E.L.D. and its counterpart S.W.O.R.D., the sentient World Observation and Response Department, know about Ord's plans and actually side with the alien. In the hopes of preventing intergalactic war, S.H.I.E.L.D. leader Nick Fury and S.W.O.R.D. leader Abigail Brand allow Ord to covertly create this cure and reign terror among the populace. As with any comic book story, there are several battles and revelations, and I'll avoid spoilers, but there is the return of one X-Man teammate long thought dead, who was in fact simply a captive of Ord, experimented on while Ord and Rao researched their cure. And that same story is the one told in Whedon's comics, the motion comic, and here in David's novel. In all cases, it's expansive. Ord's people are a new race of aliens, and Ord himself is a new supervillain nemesis for the X-Men to fight. But yet it's also a story with interpersonal conflicts. Beast considers taking the cure while also being repulsed at the methods Rao used to create it. Wolverine and Cyclops continue their battles over who's the alpha male, and Cyclops is in a relationship with Emma Frost while still loving the again-dead Jean Grey. It all works really well as an X-Men story. But the problem is, it's not a complete story. As I mentioned, Whedon wrote Astonishing X-Men for four years, a total of 25 issues, and if you do that math, yeah, they didn't really come out on time. But this story arc was the beginning of his run. He introduces these characters and situations here that I assume will play out over Whedon's entire Astonishing X-Men run. The gifted arc of Astonishing X-Men comics, by its very design, isn't a story, it's a chapter in a story. And when the chapter's over, some things have been resolved, but much larger questions remain unanswered. In the comics, that's so you'll go back and buy issue 7 now that issues 1 through 6 are done. But as I approached David's novel, I really hoped for something more than I'd gotten before. With the first novel in the series, Civil War, author Stuart Moore took 105 issues of Civil War comics and boiled it down to its essence and created a self-contained story. I really wondered if Peter David could do the same with Astonishing X-Men Gifted. And I'll be honest, before this book was ever out, I was really concerned with the title. In addition to starting and ending on adjectives, a little clumsy, the title was just so specific. It stated, we're adapting this arc of the Astonishing X-Men comic. Had the novel just been entitled Astonishing X-Men, I honestly would have expected a novel to abridge and retell the entire story that deals with Ord, the Breakworld, Sword and Shield, and the other subplots left unresolved at the end of the Gifted arc. But even with the title, Astonishing X-Men Gifted, I felt that the story was left so incomplete, surely future story elements had to be incorporated, right? Surely in a novel, you cannot leave a story so unresolved. More, I had the meta-knowledge that the current Marvel Prose series had no future X-Men books planned. Astonishing, uncanny, or otherwise, this was the only X-Book planned in this first run of four, so there was certainly no guarantee of a follow-up to this novel the way there was a guarantee of issue 7 of Whedon's comic. The odds are very long indeed at the time of publication, let alone as I write this review, that there would be another X-Men book based on Whedon's run. So I looked forward to reading the book, but I really was hoping for some closure that wasn't given in the comic. But, alas, it was not to be. If you have listened to my reviews of Peter David's Spider-Man, Iron Man, and Hulk movie novelizations over at Marvelicious Toys, you'll find a common theme. David is a very loyal adapter of work. I've read a lot of film novelizations in my time, and they run the gamut from transcripts of the shooting script with no embellishment to books that bear virtually no resemblance to the film on screen. 
and David's books uniformly lean towards the former description. Dialogue in David's movie novelizations is in many cases identical to what's in the script. And that's in many ways a credit to David. Talking to him online, he told me that with Iron Man the movie, he'd watch all the trailers, and when he saw dialogue differed in the trailer than what was in the script, he'd go back and revise the book in time for publication, doing every bit of research he can to keep the verisimilitude between what was on the page he wrote and on the screen we saw. Now, there are some exceptions, most notably David's novelization of Spider-Man 2 having an entire new opening battle and subplot, and David would add a cameo or mention of some characters from the larger Marvel Universe not present in the actual films, but by and large, there was honestly little reason to read one of David's movie novelizations if you've seen the movie. And sadly, that does not change with his novelization of Astonishing X-Men Gifted. Much of the dialogue in this book seems transcribed from Whedon's comics. The exact same things happen to the exact same characters in the exact same way. Now that's not to say David's novel isn't good, it's very good. To adapt the comic and meet the length of the novel, he really examines the characters, he gets inside their heads. We have more of the backstory between Beast and Dr. Rao, we find out they were romantically linked in the past. There's several first-person passages of David Trademark at this point in his novelizations, but these are all from the point of view of Kitty Pride. She's returning to the school after several years away. She doesn't trust Emma Frost, and we get a lot of her point of view in these passages. We get to know some of the students there, some of the new people at the Xavier School, and what's going to happen to them in a way that we don't quite get with Whedon's comics. And more... David embellishes the dialogue. He expands upon it. My guess before the book came out that David's writing style and sense of humor were a perfect match for Whedon's sensibilities was spot on as Whedon's original dialogue seamlessly meshes with David's newly added lines. Though David's dialogue is sometimes slanted towards the geeky, there's a reference to Dr. McCoy, meaning beast, but somebody also mentions, hey, that's the name of the doctor from Star Trek. Or Kitty talks about Raiders of the Lost Ark. And there's also a funny reference comparing the Xavier School to the Harry Potter Wizarding School. And one of the young X-Men talks about San Diego Comic-Con. I mean, these are lines that feel a bit more out of character for the X-Men and speak to a much more narrow audience than Whedon's original dialogue. But in the end, I have to wonder what reading David's novel adds to my experience of astonishing X-Men gifted. With Civil War, there was a modernization of the storyline, as well as an abridging. What was over 100 comics came down to a more digestible 300-page length. But here the opposite is true. This is only six comics, full of art, 180 pages counting ads, and David has bloated that story to 300 pages, with some interludes that really do feel like padding, such as getting inside the head of a pregnant hostage. You could likely read Whedon's entire 25-issue comic run of X-Men in the time it takes to read this novel. So what's in this book to make you want to? And it pains me to say this, because I'm a fan of David's, but I can't come up with anything. His penchant for being a very faithful novelizer of stories ends up making this work redundant. There's already a comic with this same story and gorgeous art. And there's a motion comic for those who prefer to watch instead of read. And I'm not saying this book is bad. It's not. It's well written, it's well paced, it's funny, it's intelligent. But those are all qualities also found in Whedon's source material. So the problem with David's book is strictly that it's unnecessary. If this was an original story being told for the first time in this book, 
I'd give it the highest of recommends while pining for a sequel to pick up those dropped character threads. It's a fun read, but as it is, I really can't recommend taking the time to read this book, because the time you'll spend reading it, much longer than reading or watching the original comics, you could spend that time reading other David works, more original works, telling stories you can't get elsewhere. And by not extending the story past the last page of issue 6 of Whedon's comic, David's story shares that comic's failing. The ending is unfulfilling. It doesn't feel like the end of a story. It feels like the end of a chapter. I want to know more about this break world. I want to know more about S.W.O.R.D. All things that if I want to know that, I have to go to the comics to read. And if that's the case, why bother making a novel out of it at all? And that brings me back to the question I asked about Civil War. Who is the target audience for this book? When Marvel decided to adapt this comic art to book format, who were they thinking would buy it? It's too tied to the comic universe to play to fans of X-Men First Class and the other big screen X-Men movies, though there are a couple of references to what could be construed as movie events. And while it bears Whedon's name, it's an X-Men book, not an Avengers book so it only tangentially leverages the Avengers movie's success. Success that couldn't have been known when this book was originally commissioned prior to Avengers' release. In the end, I'm left dumbfounded. I don't know who would pick up this book instead of the original comics, with the exception of someone who wants to read this in the office and is afraid of being looked down upon by co-workers. And that person's gonna have trouble finding it, because I will say, the comics, available in all kinds of trade paperback format, are far easier to find and better promoted than David's novel. When this book was released last September, I am so embarrassed to admit this, but I only found out about it because I was interviewing Stuart Moore, author of Civil War, editor of this book, and he told me the book had just come out the previous week. Now, I follow Marvel on Twitter, I read them on Facebook, I go to their website, I read their news. I had heard no mention of this release. I immediately went to my Barnes & Noble store to buy it, and they didn't get any copies of this book in. They told me they could special order it, but special ordering at the store takes much longer than just shipping from Amazon. So I went to the Barnes & Noble Nook app to buy this book. Marvel had an exclusive digital distribution deal with Barnes & Noble at the time, and the Nook was, and as of this recording still is, the only way to get the Civil War prose novel in ebook form. But, for whatever reason, Astonishing X-Men Gifted is not offered in Nook form. Checking, it also isn't available on iTunes, Amazon, or any other e-publisher I can find. You have to get this in paper, and you can't get this in a store. Every time I do a Books and Nachos, I end by saying support your local bookstore. And here, I tried but Marvel's distribution of this book wouldn't allow it. I had to go to Amazon after being told personally by the book's editor that it was released to get this novel. That's not going to create any impulse sales. Only the devoted would even be able to find this book to buy it. And with so little publicity surrounding their own novel, I really do wonder if that's a sign that Marvel was already by the second book losing faith in this new Marvel Comics prose series. But while I had to go to great lengths to get this book, I don't recommend you do. I do recommend getting some of Peter David's other works instead, such as Pulling Up Stakes, The Camelot Papers, or heck, go back to his 90s prose novels, Original Stories, The Incredible Hulk, What Savage Beast, or Fantastic Four, What Lies Between. Maybe after I get through this series of Books and Nachos, I'll be able to do some proper reviews of his original novels and some of this earlier Marvel prose fiction. 
But despite this bump on the Marvel Pros Comics Road, I still picked up the third book in the series, New Avengers Breakout by Alyssa Quitney, based on the Brian Michael Bendis comics. I'll be back on Books and Nachos in a couple weeks with my review of that novel. And as a reminder, next week, April 16th, the fourth book in this prose series is finally being released, Iron Man Extremis by Maureen Javins, based on the Warren Ellis comic arc. I'll be reviewing that one as well here on Books and Nachos. So until next time, thank you for listening. Please do keep reading, especially some of Peter David's original works. If you haven't heard, Mr. David had a stroke over the holiday season, and he's thankfully recovering back home, but the medical bills are high, and he and his family have requested those who have interest in his works pick up his original novels, like Pulling Up Stakes and the Camelot Papers. Those are available on Amazon in ebook and paper form. So until next time, remember to support your local bookstore, if you can. Thank you for listening to Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can catch back episodes at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2013, all rights reserved. And the first six six shoot David story said shared.